Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Hairston with Blue Prism. Welcome to the Transform Now podcast. Today, I am very pleased to have as my guest, Miguel Carrasco, a managing director and senior partner in BCG's public sector practice and technology advantage office. Miguel is based in Sydney, Australia, and I will be talking with him today about the recently released report titled The Future of Jobs in the Era of AI, which BCG co-authored with Fathom. Miguel, thank you very much for joining me today. Great to be with you, Brad. So, Miguel, can you start by introducing yourself and telling us about your role at BCG? I've been a consultant for a long time. I joined BCG about 21 years ago this month mm -hmm. and worked a lot in the private sector to begin with across a range of different industries, mainly in technology and helping clients leverage technology and take advantage of new and emerging technologies in their business. And then I started focusing a lot on the public sector when we sort of created a new practice area within BCG, focusing specifically on serving the needs of governments and have been doing that for about 15 years. I currently am the lead for BCG's Center for Digital Government, which focuses mainly helping government clients with data and digital challenges. Excellent. So Miguel, I know that BCG collaborated with Fathom AI on this report. We at Blue Prism are very familiar with them as they are one of our Technology Alliance program partners. And for the sake of our audience, let me explain that Fathom is an AI-based SaaS platform that helps organizations understand the impact of emerging technology on their workforce, specifically which jobs will be automated, which jobs will be augmented, and which new jobs will be created in the evolution of work. Fascinating company. So Miguel, how does BCG collaborate with Fathom? So Fathom have been a great partner over the last few years. We work together to help our clients understand what the impact of technology is going to be on their workforce. And the platform that they have developed integrates a whole lot of insights from many different sources and in an analytical and sophisticated way does projections of what the likely impact of technology is going to be. And then we work together with them to look at a client's workforce and do those scenarios. And, and then obviously the, the important thing is what do you do with that analysis and that insight? So then, right. then we work with clients to then come up with sort of workforce planning strategies for how they'll manage the transition over the next 5, 10, 15 years. The report you recently published with Fathom, which I believe came out about two months ago, was titled The Future of Jobs in the Era of AI. What was the purpose of this report? Uh, so actually, we'd, we'd been talking about this for a little while, having done a few different projects for different clients. We felt there was a need 
to actually sort of write something a little more comprehensive and, and take a step back and see how this trend was playing out around the world in different markets. There's actually been quite a lot of different studies done on the future of jobs and the future of work ever since the sort of Frey and Osborne study from Oxford University uh, a few years ago. But many of them just extrapolated information, and that's not a bad thing to do in terms of getting some high-level indications of what the impact might be, but it often led to some false conclusions, right, about the automation of jobs and whether there was going to be enough work for the number of people that we have. And and so we were finding, as we were doing our work, there was a need for a much more sophisticated approach in the analysis and a lot more nuance in the findings than just 40% of jobs automated by sort of 2030 and and the doom and gloom sort of narrative of robots coming to take our jobs and needing universal basic income and things like that. And that wasn't actually what we were seeing in a lot of our analysis. We found that when you take into account the economic growth over those periods of time, the fact that new jobs are created and other jobs are augmented, mm-hmm. as well as the effects of automation... The net impact in some cases wasn't a labor short it wasn't a labor surplus at all. In fact, in many cases there was a predicted shortfall in aggregate. But even that in its own right hides a much more nuanced story, which is there are lots of surpluses and deficits at the job category level and the skill level, which you need to take into account if you want to navigate this transition. So we wanted to share that insight with people and say, well, look, this is a more complex, more nuanced environment. And really, we've got a lot of tools and data and capability at our fingertips to be able to manage this better. And we wanted to sort of help people understand that we all have a role to play in Mm -hmm. navigating this transition, be it government or businesses or as individuals. Who was the target audience for this report, Miguel? So I guess there's probably three different audiences. There's policymakers in government who are obviously thinking about the issues at, at a national or city level and, and what they need to do from an overall national strategic workforce planning level. There's companies and business leaders who need to think about how they're going to populate their future organizations with the skills they need, given where they're at today, and given that they're competing in a very competitive market for talent. And then thirdly, as individuals for ourselves, there's some key messages there about the importance of lifelong learning and being adaptive to the changing demands in the workforce. So it really was a sort of a broad audience because all of those different stakeholders will have to take action if we want to manage the transition well. Right. So the way you described it, it, it was not specific just to the, the public sector. It covered public and private sectors. No, that's right. It, it's really everyone, everyone's got a role to play. And if we manage this well, then the transition will be a lot less painful. But if we don't, then it could be very disruptive. There could be sort of pockets of unemployment, people who are left behind. And so I think lots of different organizations and people have a role to play in this. Educational institutions, academia has a role to play in terms of skilling and reskilling. Governments have a role to play in terms of policies around tax and welfare and creating the right conditions as well as 
building up their own internal capabilities for national strategic workforce planning and the the settings around education policy and and so on and then yeah like i said individuals they're not completely at the mercy of all of these forces they they also have a role to play in terms of how they think about the skills that they're uh, getting and continue to learn and relearn new skills in order to give themselves the best chance of employment in the years to come can you speak to the scope of the report including the the countries that were included We looked at three countries specifically. We looked at Germany, the US, and Australia. And the reason we picked those three was they have three different labor supply curves. So in Germany, the supply of labor is forecast to decline largely due to an aging population and low net skilled migration. In the US, the labor supply curve is actually flat or over that next 10, 15 year period that we were looking at. And in Australia, the supply curve actually increases as a result of, I guess, a a baby boom that happened in the late 90s, early 2000s, which a lot of those uh, babies are now graduating and entering the workforce. So we wanted to see what the analysis would show for three different countries with three different labor supply curves. And then we looked at a number of different economic scenarios as well. So we, we looked at if there was a, a higher growth scenario or a lower growth scenario. And, and then we also took into account the impact of technology on the workforce. And we looked at a base case and then a more aggressive adoption of technology and then a less aggressive adoption of technology. And how did you conduct the study that's where the Fathom capability really was critical. We combined two things. We combined the Fathom model, which helps us project the labor demand. And then we used strategic workforce planning tools to help model the labor supply. And then, of course, we combine those two the supply and demand curves to understand what the net shortfalls or surpluses might be. And we do that at an Uh, aggregate level, but we also build it up from individual job categories. So we we had about sort of 80 or 90 different job families that we were looking at. And, And the data comes from a whole lot of different sources, including the national statistics offices of the different countries, the technology impact modeling it comes from the, the Fathom model. And we've sort of combined all of that in a range of different scenarios to then see what the overs and unders are over a period of 10 years. So we were looking out to 2030. Mm. And how did the COVID-19 pandemic factor into your analysis and projections? Yeah, well, it was interesting because we were literally about to hit publish last year when the pandemic hit. We had done all of the work and and written the report and we were about to put it out in the market. And then the pandemic hit and it obviously changes your assumptions about mm-hmm. economic growth and about employment and unemployment. And so we had to stop and redo our analysis. One of the things we did is we took projections of the economic impact of COVID um, from Oxford University, and we combined those into the model as well. So we we looked at a scenario which had sort of I guess what if what if the recovery happens as expected, uh, which sort of sees a, a dip 
in economic output, but then returning to the, the normal curve again. And then we also did a, a sort of more pessimistic scenario, which is what if the recovery takes longer and is more prolonged than expected, and if the impact of COVID turns out to be worse than projected. And so we used those two upper and lower bounds to give us a range of different sort of economic outcomes. And that obviously plays a significant role in the labor demand side. Hmm, interesting. So let's talk about what the report revealed. What, what are some key learnings about workforce supply and demand in the years to come? So it's interesting. The impact is a little bit different depending on which country you're looking at and depending on what assumptions you make about the impact of COVID and the rate of technology adoption. So in the six different scenarios that we looked at for the three countries, in most cases, there's a shortfall of labor in aggregate, right? That, as I said before, hides some of the overs and unders when you look at individual job families. But the, the story in general is that we will probably have less workers than we need by 2030 in total. There are some scenarios where that isn't the case. So the more pessimistic economic impact of COVID scenario with a very high rate of technology adoption means that there could be an aggregate surplus of people. And in Australia, which is a bit different to both Germany and the US, we actually see that surplus in some of the medium and low tech adoption scenarios as well. But what that says to me is this narrative about there's sort of not being enough work and mass unemployment isn't necessarily true, certainly not in an aggregate sense. However, the, the real issue is the mismatch. So we see surpluses of workers in some job categories and then shortfalls in other job categories. And the challenge or the trick is how to get people from the jobs that are maybe not in demand to the ones where they are in demand. And can you create a bridge, a skills bridge, to get from one side to the other? So Miguel, let's talk about where the shortfall is going to occur. Starting in the US, where is the biggest shortfall of jobs projected to be in the year 2030? So by far the biggest shortfall is in computing, engineering, mathematics, and that is true not just in the US, but also in Australia and, and Germany. So there really is, I think, a global shortfall in those job families, which sort of all countries are going to be competing for the same talent. Uh, mm -hmm. And that talent is very much around STEM, science, technology, engineering, and maths. The differences, I guess, when you look at the, the surpluses, they can be quite different across the different countries. But there's certainly a lot of demand for the same types of skills, data and digital skills. And in those job families, the demand significantly outstrips supply. Interesting. And how is automation and AI expected to impact jobs across the, the spectrum? Well, it's, it's interesting that this isn't just sort of robots replacing blue-collar jobs. The impact of automation is also felt in a lot of white-collar jobs. So administrative workers, accounting, law, there's all sorts of professions that you traditionally might not have thought were susceptible to automation there's many parts of those jobs which can be uh, automated. And so we're seeing mm. 
while there's also a level of augmentation to those jobs. So the technology brings with it the opportunity to enhance the role that humans are playing in, in those jobs. But there's certainly a, a, the impact is not constrained to any particular job family. And, and I would say that every job family to some extent is impacted, although clearly some job families where the work is perhaps a little more routine and mm -hmm. repetitive, they tend to be a little bit more susceptible. Other jobs where there is a higher degree of, I would say, creativity or imagination, or there's a very strong interpersonal element. They're the jobs that are a little more, I guess, resistant to automation. But, but I have to say, even as we see more and more developments in the AI space, computers being able to reason, computers being mm -hmm. able to generate art and write poetry and <laughs> journal articles and things like that, you do have to wonder that where that boundary will stop and if anything is truly sort of impossible to automate. Right. Did your research find that there will be a reduction in jobs overall, or will there be some new jobs created as a result of the evolution of work? Yeah, so it, it, it's a great question because, in I mean, history shows in the previous industrial revolutions that we've had and the agrarian revolutions and so on that there, there's often a fear of not having enough work. And then over time, it turns out that there was an abundance of work and more than enough sort of work to keep everyone busy. And it's true, I think, again, in this disruption scenario that we're looking at as a result of AI and, and new technologies. So new jobs will be created and some jobs will be augmented. It can be difficult to predict exactly what kind of jobs. It's like looking at a crystal ball and if you had that foresight, it would be a wonderful thing. But often we don't know until after the fact of what jobs were actually created. So we did try to model the impact of new job creation here. And when you look at the trends as a sort of short-term indicator, there's certainly, I think, a lot of new job creation for software developers and testers, for data engineers, data scientists, right. data integrators in the infrastructure and cloud space. So th these are the sort of occupations where we're seeing the greatest demand and cyber, of course, as well. And so I expect that there will be a lot of new jobs created in that space. And then there will be a whole lot of new jobs that we don't even know about yet. We haven't yet seen them emerge in today's job market. But I, I think uh, history... History shows that new technologies have a habit of creating jobs as much as they might automate some. Right. So you've talked about where the biggest shortfalls are projected to be in 2030. What about the demand for talent overall? Where do you expect that to be most pronounced in the year 2030? I think the, I guess what we're seeing is that in addition to those STEM roles, there's also a lot of demand in sectors uh, like healthcare and aged care and mm. social work, community work. And that's true across the US, Australia and Germany. We saw shortfalls in those areas. And that I think is probably explained by the, the increasing aging population and the need for aged and social care services in the community to support that aging population. There's also, in some cases, demand for teaching and educational professions. So some of those sectors, particularly in the US, I think are seeing some shortfall, perhaps 
maybe they haven't been able to attract as much of the talent and they're competing with some very competitive sectors and rates of pay in other sectors. So there's uh, some pretty strong demand, I think, in the education social services sectors. And then generally in Germany, we see strong demand for people with skills in, in sort of business operations, management, and executive roles. So there's, I think, strong pool still for people who can analyze businesses and make improvements, optimize operations, manage large organizations and lead large organizations. And I think those sort of occupations are still seeing strong demand in, in 2030. Wow. I can't help but think about how we need to get this information to the kids that are in middle school right now because they'll be entering the job force in 2030 timeframe. <laughs> and this would be so helpful uh, to them. I was just uh, thinking about that as you were talking. I'm a big fan in what I call sort of core foundational evergreen skills. Mm -hmm. Regardless of what technical skills you might have, having core skills in problem solving, in, in creativity, in mm -hmm. leadership, in teamwork, in collaboration, in innovation, in entrepreneurialism. These are the sorts of universal skills that our kids should be learning at school and mm -hmm. in our higher education system so that when they enter the workforce, they'll be best placed to find their way regardless of how the demand profiles shift over time in a technical sense. Exactly. In the final segment here, I want to get your feedback from the report in terms of, so how do we use these findings to change behaviors and, and drive action? So first, what are some things that country leaders can do to prepare for the future of work and to mitigate the shortfalls that you have talked about? I think the the number one thing is to stop guessing, right? Like we, we don't need to guess or sort of, if, if we're sort of looking into our crystal ball and wondering what the future will bring, well, there's an element of it which is uncertain, of course, but this is not one of them, right? We can actually understand what the impact of technology is likely to be. The tools that companies like Fathom bring can really help us in a very granular way make predictions using you know, AI and analytics itself in the process. And then we can use those predictions and that scenario planning work to come up with better policies around education and skilling um, and reskilling. And that's probably the second thing that governments can do, which is the investment in the workforce and supporting the workforce to gain the skills that they need and then and retrain over time. So we, we're seeing, I think, people will be moving in and out of jobs probably more frequently than they used to, maybe changing career paths more frequently than they used to. And some of that's not necessarily intuitive. The core skills that underpin a successful accountant today actually have a high degree of similarity with cybersecurity roles. Some of the folks who might be working in jobs or roles where there, where there might be automation um, of cars and trucks and buses, etc., actually often have social skills and community skills that are going to be really useful in social services and community services, right? They're used to 
helping people get from A to B and they're, they're often interacting with people on a day-to-day basis. And a lot of those core skills, foundational skills in, in places like aged care and social services. And so I think we have to be open to thinking quite laterally about the transitions that people might ba- that might make beyond just the sector or the industry that they're currently in. And that's where data uh, and analytics really comes into play because you look at the similarity of jobs and you can look at the, the, the similarity score between jobs and say, okay, how can I bridge the gap if there's a gap? And that could be through work experience, it could be through formal training and qualifications, it could be through apprenticeship, traineeships and things like that. And that's where government can then use this information to better target its education programs to help people navigate those transitions. So Miguel, what about organizations in the private sector as well as the public sector? What can they do to prepare themselves and their employees for the future of work? I think the key message for companies and and in the private sector is that the people they want are the same people that everyone else wants. And this idea that you can just make redundant the folks you don't need and hire the ones you want in the market, I think is a very high risk strategy. The reality is a lot of the people that are working for you today could make the transition with the right support and the right Uh, training and the right job opportunities. So companies really need to think about investing in the existing workforce and understanding how each employee has a pathway going forward in the company of the future and and will be able to fill the roles that they're looking to fill. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be a perfect fit, right? There may be some people who won't be suitable or don't have the, the right skills to do some of those roles. And in that case, I think the role of companies is really to help those people find an alternative, right, and navigate to perhaps another company or another sector where their core skills might be useful. We we see some organizations setting up transition units to help employees make those sorts of decisions, consider their options both internally and externally, and, and then undertake whatever training or other qualifications are necessary. The more forward-thinking companies have realized that their advantage in the market will be how quickly they can adapt the existing workforce they have to the workforce they need. And last but not least, what can individuals do in response to this report, Miguel? Well, I I think individuals, and we touched on it a little bit earlier, have a really important role to play, and it has as, as much to do with shifting mindsets more than anything else. In the past, people might have gone to school and done a tertiary degree, and that was it, and they were set for life. And, and these days, I think that there's much more of a notion of needing to continuously learn and relearn in order to ensure that you are keeping up to date with the needs of employers out there. And so we really need to think about what are the skills the core skills I have, where could those be relevant? And they may not be in the industry I'm currently working in. And I might need to do some kind of a bridging course or go back to to school to learn some new skills. And that's where, again, the education system needs to support people dipping in and out of, of education rather than just sort of episodic at one time at the beginning of their career. So we we need to make sure that we're not rigid, that we're flexible and open-minded 
uh, opportunities and then take those opportunities for skilling and reskilling when they come up so that we can give ourselves the best chance of being employable. And, and actually, that as a human being, that's a really natural thing to do. We have an, an appetite to grow and learn, and that really is something humans are, are geared to do. Great stuff, Miguel. Well, it's a fascinating report. I encourage everyone to look it up and read through the whole thing. It can be found on the BCG website as well as the fathom.ai website. Miguel, thank you for joining me on this and providing your editorial input. It's been very helpful and I wish you the very best and be well in Australia. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now. Thank you.